G'day, welcome to Radio Notes. Let's dive right in. Australia has the most deadly of spiders, as well as the most tasty, in the form of the milk and soda combo that, the latter, is what Bells in Broken Hill are famous for. In fact, when it comes to flavours, they have over 50 originals to be chosen from, all made from their own syrups and cordials using Les Bell's secret recipes made right on the premises. During Radio Note's visit of the Outback Australian town, John sat down in the oldest milk bar in the country to chat with the owner, Jason King. King also works in film and media as story architect, location manager, collaborator and more. Let's go now into the heart of the famous Bell's Milk Bar to find out more. Over a decade ago... What was the spark? What was the passion of, of having this old girl, this basically time warp to the 1950s? I first heard about it, I was living in Alice Springs and my mum had just recently moved to Broken Hill or about you know, within the, the year preceding. And um, things weren't going great up there for a number of reasons. And I rang mum one day, I was thinking about coming in and um, t- you know, taking advantage of parental hospitality and... Um, Sorting out what I was going to do with myself, and I loved Broken Hill from the time I'd spent here. The upshot of that, and the great thing about it is that I ended up, and I'd, before that I'd been doing door-to-door sales for a while, and spent you know, most of the previous three or four years travelling around, living out of a suitcase, and I was really craving that, um, that community and putting some roots down and spending a little bit of time in one place, and so... I rang mum to see what she was up to and it, it just so happened at the exact same time in, in the exact same phone call she's told me about this old milk bar that, was, that she'd discovered and on the, you know, it was pretty run down at the time it had been um, on the market for a while and, but they made their own drinks there and through the, for, from these handmade syrups and cordials it had been around, it was one of the longest running businesses in Broken Hill been running since the uh, eight, early 1890s as a confectioner and cordial maker to start with and so... The lure was too much. She convinced me to come down here and, and um, you know, neither of us could do anything like this on our own. Like She was working full-time, so we needed her financial stability, but she needed someone to come and work for nothing to run the place for a while till it got up and running. And, and at the time, you were saying you were getting contact with the parentals, with mum at the time, and this is also about childhood memories as well. Maybe not so much for you, but for so many other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, didn't, I had no idea exactly how much... This place meant to the community of Broken Hill, and not just that, the wider community, you know, especially people of a certain age that remembered coming back, coming to the milk bar as a kid, regardless of where it was. And so, you know, I had all these plans. I only saw some photos and convinced she convinced me to come here, and I had all these plans for it. And then once I got here, and um, it was probably a really good thing that we sort of started it on the smell of an oily rag and, and couldn't really do much to start with because we didn't make any silly changes that people sometimes make to businesses like these before they realised the importance of the, the, you know, what's already here. And so we were able to save a lot of the original artwork and for my time the, the old counter had been thrown away and, and all that sort of stuff. So we found an, an original 1950s counter and around that took us a, when we first moved here. Um, we both lived out the back uh, where we're sitting now. This is okay. mum's bedroom and mine was the next one over, which we've renovated through. But, yeah, it was pretty soon that I realised that, no, we needed that space for the business and booted her out and... I've since bought, yeah, my wife and I have since bought mum out of it. But she, but she sort of, yeah, really did a really great job discovering this opportunity and, and getting me, convincing me to be involved and, and helping out that early stuff. And also has a sense of history as well because there's also a museum aspect attached to it as well. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's one of those things that like, when you start looking into it, there's so much about milk bar culture and milk bar history that's, that uh, especially the younger generation probably wouldn't have it 
a clue about. Um, it's great that this vintage revival seems to be happening right around the place and it's all coming back in again because people are now interested in this as well as the, the older generation that remember coming to places like this. A whole range of great great stuff around that 50s kind of vintage theme and you know the best thing I love about this is and it's not the only experience in Broken Hill you can do that but it's certainly like unique in that you can have the same experience now and come in and have a milkshake kids can come in after school people can come on a date and it's pretty much more or less the exact same experience they had 50 60 years ago now today in uh, 2017 so joined by Jason King he is the owner of Bell's Milk Bar here in Broken Hill but also of Jason King Media and that's for which I'd like to talk to you now Broken Hill is known as a stellar Australian film locale for places to go as a filmmaker making work here in Broken Hill What's your passion? What's your drive through the lens and Broken Hill? That's a great question. I think, um, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people think that I'm from Broken Hill, that I was born here and that I've lived here all my life. Um, Certainly people from outside, but even locals who have also lived here all their life. So I wasn't, I've been here 13 years and I mean, but I guess like some of them just say, well, you're so passionate about the place. You, yeah. you, you, you're always spruiking Broken Hill. You're always out there trying to um, promote the place and talk it up. I just assumed you were born here and that you're from here. The thing about it for me is, oh. is yeah, it's just gotten under my skin. And it, a range of factors. And being able to showcase those as best as I can at any given time through the lens is a really great way of showing that passion, interpreting it. The landscapes, of course, are something that people... Uh, filmmakers and photographers and artists have been flocking to this area for a long time to capture and it's just so raw and, and real and you know I love, I love those and I love going out to the desert with or without the, the green tinge that sometimes gets when it's rained a bit and, and that's definitely great and the light that we get here I mean now the green tinge we should say is this the infamous green tinge that saw Mad Max go walkies mm. is this is this the sore wound we don't talk about Oh, look, it's, I think it's a number of factors, to be honest. I mean, the Australian dollar must have had something to do with it, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you think about it. But, yeah, I don't think the desert, in terms of like, the farmers, and, and obviously farming is a far greater, um, you know, far greater impact to our local economy at this point in time than, than filmmaking mm. is. So, you know, it's great that it's been raining and it's great that the, there's lots of vegetation and the stock, you know, the farmers have been having a great, great time of it. From a filmmaking point of view, like yeah. the, the desert itself, you know, it rains so much that all of these dormant seeds and everything have all just sprouted up and, and now they've taken hold and every time you get a little bit of rain, it greens back up again and, and you've got, you know, you've got to go a bit further to, to get that classic sort of the desert that everyone remembers from those Coke commercials or from the, mm. from the, the Mad Max 2, you know, I'm assuming it'll come back at some point, but it certainly, um, yeah, the, the green has, has made... Has made a difference, but I, I don't mind it. I mean, I love being out in the, the desert. I love being out, out in the, out amongst it and the elements. And but it's more than just that for me. You know, it's 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 the community and the people and the the characters that you find here as well. It everyone, you know, whether no matter how they feel, there's a, there's a lot of lot of people they wear they wear their hearts on the sleeve here. Is it is what it is, and whether that's good or bad or otherwise, depending on your perspective, you're getting a really great slice of Australian life when you when you point the camera at someone in Broken Hill. I mean, it's it's cliche to say, but it's hard to describe what is what makes it special. I mean, it is like 
I mean, everyone everyone likes to think their place is like nowhere else. Mm. It's just like nowhere else I've ever experienced. And doing the door-to-door sales, we travelled around through lots of small country towns. In fact, the first time I ever came to Broken Hill was, was knocking on the doors and actually sitting in people's lounge rooms. And so there's just something about it. There's something about the people that... that um, it's, it's a total... I guess the total opposite in, in many ways of that fast-paced city craziness that, that some people find themselves immersed in in the cities and, and where everyone's just passing in the street and, you know, here, you, you, you for better or for worse, you mm. know, everyone's sort of, it, it's one community and you know, regardless of what you see on the fence and how you, how you feel about that. But then thrown into that mix, you've also got like the, the art scene and you've got this film, you've got these filmmakers that come into town from the city, bring that sort of frenetic mm. energy and, and that filmmaker's eye and, and transform it. The vibes, and even you know, even with Mad Max, they were here doing pre-production, and there was only a hundred people. But it it just changed the the vibe enough to just just give it shift that energy a bit around and and help bring bring things to the community that maybe if we do were just totally left to our own devices, might be lost. What is it about the Broken Hill landscape that you'd be saying to filmmakers they should be coming to see and engage with? Because it's not just the Mad Max kind of desert like. There's some other characteristics as well, isn't there? Absolutely. There's lots of different aspects. And, I mean, there's some great national parks and things like that. When you're based here and, and you're trying to get projects together and you think about the resources you've got at your disposal, you know, it, it's easy to sort of think, oh, it'd be great if we had a camera hire place. It'd be great if we had a bunch of sound guys that we can call on or, or other experienced you know, filmmakers. And there's a few people but not enough film work here to have people full-time doing those sort of things. If you're a filmmaker coming into a remote location which has got the kind of landscapes you can get here, it's actually really well set up, like, you know, as far as the, compared to other outback locations in that, you know, once you get here, 20 minutes, half an hour, and you're in the middle of nowhere. But in town, you've got great restaurants, you've got cosy accommodation, lots of different options and, and styles and budget ranges there as well. Broken Hills, Australia's first nationally heritage listed city mm-hmm. and part of the reason is the, the architecture and the infrastructure and the mining stuff and the old buildings and so there's plenty of rusted iron there's plenty of dirt roads and, and that kind of landscape and, and I mean there's, there's places like Silverton I would I would say too like I know that a few things have been filmed out at Coburn as well which is on the South Australian border mm-hmm. and it's an amazing it's kind of like an untouched you know uncommercialized version of Silverton perhaps and, and and different totally different you know totally different beasts and of course Silverton you've got the Monday Monday planes as well so yeah you've got those kind of things but I think the facilities that come with it as well and and you've got a, an airport I mean yes there's limits to to when and how you fly in but you can fly in and you can get a rental car and you can drive down the road and make a make a film which looks like you've driven into the middle of Australia to make if you wanted to make an American Set, a film set in America, you could find a landscape out here that, that people would think is there as well. So you've got that bit of flexibility around it. I've spoken to some crews that have come out here and once they get here, they'll be like, wow, it's really easy to, to come here and maybe we should have, in hindsight, since it just rained for two weeks in the city, maybe we should have actually come out here and we might have even, it might have even been worthwhile because there's obviously a financial impost on on yeah. crews to get everyone here and there's a living away from home allowances and all these kind of things that when people are making these decisions about where they film they've got to take into account for and the, obviously people like to put stuff as much stuff on the screen as they can and i guess i would you know put it out there that it's a big challenge i think for, for all the time as content becomes cheaper and cheaper and people want to expect to pay less and less to make it let's talk about content because as a filmmaker based here in town now here in broken hill 
it mustn't be a full-time gig. So how do you balance that? Uh, well, look, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, really proud to say that it is something that at the moment is, is doing, you know, I'm doing full-time, if you count corporate stuff, of course. Okay, yeah. So, which I do, because, look, I take the same, put the same effort and, and same eye into a, um, you know, a council or tourism video or whatever mm-hmm. it is I would to making a, a short film. And, you know... It, to be able to get out to go there as a day job, and to be able to go out into the community or go out to the you know, into the environment and make something and get paid to do it, you know, every day is a great day, and I feel really blessed to have to be able to get paid to do something I really love doing, and that if I could, I would do it for free anyway. As a local lad, is there a particular project that you might be working on at the moment that has got you pretty excited? I'm actually in the middle of doing some location scouting for a TV show that's coming out here, filming. In, in a month or so, mm-hmm. and that's exciting. You know, it's it's always great to be involved in these things. There's a lot of commercials and things too that come out here. But yeah, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a fairly decent gig on the Wake and Fright show that, that filmed out here, and that's that's finished filming. So I'm not really doing any work on that. It's it's all wrapped up and editing it. But um, when they were here, it was really exciting for the whole town. Everyone got to. Um, you know, who wanted to pretty much got to be involved in some way and there was lots of extras, you know, 50 or 60 or 80 or something, local extras involved and kids and the whole range. And so, so that was really exciting and, you know, that is something that I find... And there were some other locals that worked on it as well. So I think that's something that's really exciting too is being able to, you know, broaden my filmmaking horizons and at the same time, you know work with other locals and see them develop in their careers and you know, make up artists and costume and other filmmakers getting even as extras to see what goes on in the set and then you know a great example is that of that is we um we shot a short film um which uh i shot for a friend uh last weekend or the weekend before and nine out of ten of the crew had been on been involved in waking fright and, and other other shows and they'd seen you know what goes on and it made a huge difference as the local filmmaker now, when you see other people's interpretation of not just the landscape, but the town, the people, how do you read into their visual representation? I might just sort of preface that with like, even just looking at some of my own work from as it evolves, it's interesting to look back and see how I look through the lens, yeah. what, I, what I chose to put up on the screen you know, a few years ago compared to maybe a few weeks ago. And that's really exciting. A lot of what I've been doing and is, has been a bit of learn, learn while you earn type stuff. Just making lots of videos and improving over time has been really... I've found no better way to learn stuff than to, to, make, to make lots of stuff. And, then you, and there's plenty of great resources around too, which is really awesome. I guess it's the same in any pursuit. When you put a lot of time into it over time, you, and if you're committed to constant improvement and learning and growing, then that, you, you know, if you're aware of that journey, then you're going to be learning those things. But I found that pretty interesting. Seeing that change from, from when you first started to now... I, I love watching films that other people make and, you know, regardless of when I can, you know, whatever, whatever content. Like, obviously, the, we're bombarded with content now, so it's not always possible to watch everything you'd like to potentially watch. I think that's kind of probably the, really the, um, the aim of all content creators is to make content that's engaging enough that people don't switch it off and go and watch something else. But in terms of how I feel about seeing people put... I mean, if you look at photographers, there's, like, a, a lot of photographers in town um, currently... You know, using their lenses, and, and everyone's got a slightly different style, and, and that's really interesting too. Um, and then people come into town, and, and they'll they'll uh, catch something different. 
We're in conversation with Jason King of Jason King Media, also the owner here of Bells. Is there a project that you're currently working on that really you're really proud of, particularly as a filmmaker? So one that um, that I'm working on, pretty excited about. It's actually the most of the work is done on producing, and a friend of mine, um, Nick Crowhurst, is directing, and we shot it a couple of weeks ago called Lost Sheep, which is a, a seed funded through Screen New South Wales, okay. the, these regional shorts, where they give filmmakers a $4,000 grant to help them with some of those essential costs of producing their film. And so that's in post-production at the moment. And based on... I, um, I shot it and Nick directed, and one of the, our other local filmmakers, Jessica Byrne, she starred in it alongside a, an Adelaide-based actor. Always good to get Adelaide in there. Adelaide writer as well, so yeah, you guys have... Uh... The passion for this particular project, is at what level, Jason? Is it because you've shot it so well? Is it because you've been working so hard? Is it the people you're working with? To have a bunch of largely Broken Hill-based filmmakers make a quality product, whether it's this one, the one we've just made, or the next one that we're mm-hmm. going to make, is something that excites me more than anything else because you, know, you do feel, even though everyone's really supportive, like that sometimes maybe people feel that you have to bring everything in to make something... Here and, and my passion is to establish, and it's probably, you know, many people may, may feel that it's um, a, a fair reach, and it is, like, to be honest, a fair reach, but I would love to establish a local film industry. We don't have to rely on someone bringing in the, the resources that we need where we've got the resources here and or we've got the ability to work on those. And maybe Adelaide's a good place because um, it's 500 k you can drive in half a day, mm. whereas everywhere else it, it can be logistically I'm challenged sure we'll be to happy to have you, you know. You know. Well, we're already on the same time zone, but in any case, probably the project that I'm working on now, which by the time this, this is, uh, sees a lot of day, hopefully will be um, further along, is, is actually a filmmaking forum we're having in July. Yep. Creatives here, a co-working space and collaborative, like a collaboration hub for one of a better term, where people can, who are already doing stuff can do the stuff that they're already doing, but they're doing it near, in very close proximity to other people, so that then is re- kind of... You know, ideally, even like the Brushman of the Bush did for landscape painting, you know, in the eighties, maybe maybe for filmmaking and digital media, it's something where we can we can really put ourselves out there and collectively maybe reach further, and than we could any of us on our own, and and that's kind of what probably the thing that I'm working on, apart from getting all this other stuff done and trying to find time to do the next other one. That's probably the thing I'm most passionate about. How does this saturation of content that we have in this technological age affect you as a filmmaker and the decisions you make? It's great in a way because things are so temporary, especially in the paid sort of branded content type thing, which pays the bills for me and and potentially is the biggest short-term opportunity for people to actually make a dollar and live in places like Broken Hill. Because there's so much content, it's changing all the time. People look at people will watch something and then they'll never watch it again. There's always opportunity, but there's twofold. There's opportunity to then continue, like make something this year and then come back next year and make something again to refresh it. Mm. But by the same token, you're also building a bank of content that you can then put back out. That's sort of how I think about it. Because I've been doing a few projects over the years, when I look back at some of the content I've got. You know, it's great to, and even some of the file shots I might have that I didn't use for something that's just there, I can chuck into another project. And, and so, the, yeah, the, but on the other hand, as someone who's aspiring to make more content that's less motivated by what the, you know, someone pay me to make this because they yeah. want to promote their thing, and more about a story I want to tell, a narrative, dramatic story, fiction based story, in whatever form, 
I think it's it's a challenge because it's just no one really would like to pay very much to make content now, and even at the higher end level, there's always there's all my understanding of, of these things, which mm. isn't based on um, much, but except for sort of looking from the outside in. But it feels like that because it's cheaper to produce stuff. A lot of you know we're not doing film anymore; we're making things digitally. Distribution we're not just distributing on TV where you've got to you know you got to um, pay you got to get paid so much to then make it for TV. You've got Netflix and all of these kind of stand in Australia and all these kind of platforms that now people can put their work out on. It's disrupting everything and it's all new. So mm. I don't know if the, if the playing field's been properly... Uh, or if, if it would ever settle, like if it's just always constantly changing. But in terms of thinking about... Knowing how I consume content as well, you mm. know, like thinking about what to make, it's such a real challenge. Like it causes internal... Um, challenges for me in terms of telling a story or a narrative that obviously if you want to do that there's that understanding of the shortgevity straight there as soon as you're thinking about doing it isn't it yeah and I mean it's got to be the thing is the quality is just so great and I think it's something that you know probably many artists would struggle with like is what if it's not good enough what if I do the best I can and put it out there and it's not good enough or where's it going to go where's it going to live who's going to actually watch it and you know, I guess that's where the business of filmmaking needs to be separated from the business of making films because you, for art's sake, mm. and and maybe there's, maybe if if you just make stuff because you want to make it, especially if you live in Broken Hill, mm. and you pay the bills, however you pay the bills, it's a really good way to, to get going. And I think that's sort of where I'm feeling about this is, and with with online distribution as well, there's an opportunity to distribute your own stuff. And if you put the time and effort, if you find if you make something you really think's really worthwhile putting out there, then you've got an opportunity to distribute it yourself. And if, it, if it's, you don't think it's worth putting out there, well, you don't have to put it out there. In sense of recording history, we're currently sitting in a 1950s milk bar called Bell's Milk Bar here in Broken Hill, which you're the owner of. In the sense that film can document a sense of what history is, based upon what you just said then in the way that we're consuming the media, how does one find that balance of telling a, a historic narrative and keeping the audience engaged? There's a, I reckon there's a real... And it's something that I know Broken Hill City Council is really working hard on and they've been working with BHP to, to um, update and, and future-proof and digitise their, their archives at the moment because they've got all this amazing stuff and, and um, not accessible, people can't find it and if they do, it's like, you know, and, and how it's housed and all that sort of stuff. So they're looking into that, they've got some great designs and they're, they're looking at uh, making that a really engaging space. So I think... The, the place that you and it's probably something that refers to the milk bar as well and, and retail like thinking about it you know it's about the experience of consuming that kind of data like they're talking about making a space that school groups can come and everyone can sit outside and it's like an integrated space and then all of the they've got the you know the dungeon or whatever where they keep all the really important stuff and bring it out for wherever they need to or it's digitized so maybe they don't they can just make sure it's preserved so you've got that side of the the heritage I think the issue of copyright's a really big one, personally. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that if you look at things like photographs, anything, if you're looking at documenting history, anything after 1955, even if it's 1956 and it's like a picture of the, the milk bar or something, and I'll find it, and, you know, who, how that's owned and all that sort of stuff is an issue. And with um, the moving image, all of that early stuff mm. and anything since is all owned by the producer and I've had examples of stuff where, where I want to show a film that was made about the mines in Broken Hill as part of a film festival and because we can't track the producer down mm-hmm. you can't even show it when you think about who makes the money out of the content if I make a film and it, it's a, I can afford to make it I make it I put it out there and 
obviously distribution's really important, but like iTunes might get 50% of the, the total revenue from that film. And the filmmaker or producer puts all the effort and energy and raises the money and the investors might make a couple of percent back. And then once it's done well on iTunes, someone comes and pirates it and the filmmaker makes no money. The model is going to have to change, I think, going forward for how people get paid for the, the content as well. Some technical questions. What, what's some of your favourite camera gear to take out? What do you really geek over when, when you get a chance? So it's all, I think gear is, it's really dangerous waters to get into when you start talking about what gear and, and how and all that sort of stuff because it's important to note that if you, you know, you can shoot a great film these days on your iPhone if you are so inclined and I could too. And if, I've, if, I, if I'm somewhere and I don't have any other camera, you know, there's no reason why I couldn't shoot something that's perfectly legitimate and in fact, people have shot feature films that played at festivals and been distributed and all that sort of stuff on, admittedly, far and few between, and no one would probably choose to if they had access to other gear. But, yeah, I'm in that point where and I've got the Canon EOS C100, which is like a, you know, a documentary and wedding and type workhorse that a lot of people use, and it's, got, it's not the latest 4K, but it does have that, that Canon sort of... Um, image sensor and I really like the, the quality of the images I get out of it I can also attach like an external recorder to it and, and ramp it up and at the moment like anything that's broadcast is pretty much broadcast the maximum it's broadcast in is at that HD level that this can film in so it's suitable for what I can do both in my and most of the stuff that I make is for online or, or local TV which at the moment is still a standard definition one area that I think you know the opportunity I didn't mention before but I think they're probably the biggest opportunity in for to to really take filmmaking to the next level here in Broken Hill, locally based, mm. is you, you know trying to develop that advertising agency kind of space where people, because there are ads that come out here and film. But there, I reckon there's probably more people who would like to come out here and film than people who can come here and mm. film. And if we could develop a little small crew here that can do those kind of the ads. And the great thing about this proliferation of content, and if you look at even just the people that have either the jobs I've got or and others have got in town and the people that have come in in the last couple of years to do other projects there's probably you know there's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of video work that's been done by outside operators that potentially I'm not saying that it had to be done or should have been done but you know potentially that kind of stuff can be done by local people and even if half of it was done by local people that's still you know a couple of full-time jobs extra working in this industry which then opens up other doors for other creative projects in the future. Jason King, where do you see yourself in the next decade or so? I would love and I see myself as being a full-time director and or creative, you know, other creative pursuits as I choose to do. But, yeah, I'd love to be to be known for making feature films. Will feature films still exist, though, Jason, in the next couple of years with this idea of documentaries and miniseries and all these kind of... Maybe, maybe... People's attention's getting shorter. Maybe it's... Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you, you say that, but then people bloody binge, you know, 12 know. hours straight I've just Netflix. contradicted myself, yeah. It's like... I guess, like, I would include feature television in that if, yeah. if it were an opportunity. Uh, but, like, it's interesting, too, because I, I really find myself drawn to these quirky stories, and which is probably the reason why I love living out here. I've made a few different sorts of films of my own, like in my own time and that sort of stuff, and the ones that I sort of feel resonate in the, you know, the projects that I, when I think about how to, how to shoot these things and make these projects, so that's something that, to me, is um, something that you can get in the city, but it, it's just here in spades, and you have to just, you know, there's so many of those stories around, and whether they're real or made up, it's just a great place to be, and, and that's what I'd love to be doing in 10 years' time, is, is working on those stories and, and making those, that, you know, 
harnessing that stuff that's already here. Jason King, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for doing Radio Notes. No, thanks for having me. Owner of the Bell's Milk Bar, Jason King, recorded in 2017. Online, the feel of the 50s can be found at bellsmilkbar.com.au. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Radio Notes. Uh, We ran out of time to talk more about the Bell's Milk Bar itself, but an interesting conversation I hope you found still the same with Jason King, who was the owner and operator there at the time when I dropped on past. Coming up next time, we'll be catching up with Melbourne outfit The Attics and finding out about a very boutique festival for which our guest is a part of. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.